that join that do well are very open to learning all aspects of the performing environment. What is the best for the artist, what is the best for the show, and what is the best for the company as a whole? Trust us, we want you on stage just as much as you do, but we also want you to feel great and perform at your best. Hello and welcome to the Theatre Art Life podcast sponsored by ClearCom. ClearCom is the leader in voice communications since 1968 for theatre and the performing arts. When the show must go on, ClearCom is there to keep the team on cue. The Theatre Art Live podcast puts the spotlight on those who create live entertainment around the world, the culture creators and the backstage masters. My name is Kat Landry. Today we are speaking with Kaz Finan. Kaz is the head of performance medicine at big top touring show Alegria by Cirque du Soleil. With over 20 years of experience as a physiotherapist and a recently completed MBA, Kaz is passionate about leading high-performing teams to deliver quality care to performing artists. Kaz worked in sporting, military, and digital health environments before joining Cirque du Soleil in 2019. Kaz, welcome to the show. Oh, it is so great to be bringing some Australian energy, Kat, via Tokyo, Japan. It's great to be here. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome. Welcome, Kaz. Uh, Kaz, could you please start by just telling us a little bit about your professional journey and how you got to where you are today? Mm, Well, you know, I think it all started when I was three. And I went to my first ballet class. (laughs) I was very into dance growing up all through primary school and high school. And when it came to deciding what I was going to do at university, I already loved the body and how it moved. And so physiotherapy was a very natural choice for me. My career as a ballerina wasn't meant to be. I was a little too short and uh, my hips weren't quite right. But working with bodies, certainly uh, I landed on my feet in that role. And look, it's taken me to many countries and many industries. But when I came to Cirque in 2019 and walked into it, it was a resident show at that time, walked into the theatre, it was like coming home because that was my whole childhood was Stedfords and stages and costumes and makeup. So, yes, it's been a roundabout way getting back into performing arts, but, um, yeah, definitely a sense of coming home. And I'm so glad that you've come home to this particular show <laughs> because it's brought the two of us together. Uh, for our listeners who might not know, uh, Kaz and I actually work on the same show, Alegria, and we are here in Tokyo together. So it's a great pleasure to have you on, Kaz. Now, you mentioned that you made your way back to the entertainment world, but that you actually started elsewhere and in a few different corners of the physical therapy industry. Could you tell us a little bit about uh, the fields that you worked in before coming back to entertainment? Yeah, so I, I started out doing a lot of work in private practice, just in general sporting populations and, you know, weekend warriors who do sports on the weekend moved into more some traveling with sporting teams. And then I did a bit of work with defense. So I was working with Navy populations. And then I even worked in a mine construction job. Yes, I was not in the show blacks, but in high vis, hard hat, steel cap boots and safety glasses. And that was 1,400 workers on a site that was building a, a mine 
So that was very remote and a very interesting job and, you know, very different to what I'm doing now. And along that way, I seemed to keep finding myself in remote areas or trying to help people who had injuries in remote areas. And I thought to myself, do I have to actually be there with them or can I use the powers of technology to get to them? And, you know, this would have been a good 10, 15 years ago, Kat, before telehealth was even a thought in people's minds. Um, I was... uh, pretty headstrong and entered into an industry that not many people knew much about. So um, I became a pioneer in Australia in telehealth in the physiotherapy space. So managing injuries online. And that led me to build a business initially with no business knowledge whatsoever. And so then had a crash course in running a business. And purely because I was there before everyone else, I learned some things and then health professionals started coming to me to ask how they could also set up telehealth practices. And then, of course, COVID hit cat and, well, I was very well placed to help lots of health professionals around the world to get started in digital health as well. So it has been a roundabout journey, but uh, a fun one, that's for sure. And, you know, you, you have that moment where you feel like all your experiences in life have led you to where you are today. And so I'm working in an environment where we're moving around. We sometimes use telehealth to help our artists. Yeah, it's all come together. Wow, that is such a fascinating variety of work. How would you say you adjust your approach between, for example, a Navy sailor versus a Cirque du Soleil acrobat versus a mine construction worker What are the similarities? What are the differences? Yeah, so you might be surprised to hear about the similarities. If we look at those three populations, that was Navy, Construction, Cirque du Soleil Acrobat. Well, within those three, there are many different kinds of jobs. So with Cirque, you could be a flying trapeze flyer who uses your upper body a lot, or you could be a trampoline artist who uses your lower body a lot. So I think what's the same is in the Navy, you could be in communications, which is office-based, or you could be in the SAS, which is incredibly physical. In construction, you could be an engineer who works on a computer a lot, or you could be literally digging trenches. So I think what's the same is tailoring the approach to the loads that the body has to be under. And a knowledge of those different jobs is really important so that you can really tailor your approach to the people that you're working with. What's different? Well, I think the aesthetics is one thing. I'm not sure that people in the Navy or in construction really care how lovely they they look when they're doing their job, Um, (laughs) but that is a big part of things for us. But also, if you think about it, uh, in the Navy or in construction, it's generally an eight-hours-a-day job where you're doing your task for that period of time. Now, with a lot of our acrobats, they're really training to put in a maximal effort for what could be minutes or even seconds to do an incredibly challenging physical task. So we're not just training them to do 70% energy for an eight-hour day. We're training them to be able to put in the absolute 100% best and most accurate load through their body at that time to impress the audience and keep them safe. So that's a very different way that you need to look at it when um, you're talking about an artist compared to people who have a nine to five. 
Wow, that's so interesting. I hadn't actually thought about the way that that load is spread over a day, but you're right. It is it is so very concentrated on those few minutes in a show rather than a full work day. That's a really interesting way to think about it. So Kaz, what does it actually mean to work in performance medicine for entertainment? What is your role? Yeah, so we'll, we use the term PMED to refer to ourselves and our de- department, and that's just a, sh- a shortened version of performance medicine. So uh, I'll probably be rolling that out as we continue to chat, Kat. So basically, our role as the performance medicine team is to look after the health and wellness needs of our performing artists. Now, most of us are physiotherapists or physical therapists or athletic trainers or athletic therapists. And so day-to-day injury management is certainly the bread and butter of what we look after. Uh, And this is generally just the small little aches and pains that people get from regular training and, and workload. We also have to look at recovery strategies. So obviously we have to back up for a performance every day, twice a day, occasionally even three times a day. So how can those bodies that have worked most quickly reset themselves to have that energy again for another performance? Another thing that we work on is our emergency response, which is basically being at our best to respond to incidents that may occur so that the artist is managed quickly and well and effectively so that they are most likely to have a good outcome for, for their recovery. Um, so there's a number of things that, that make up the bulk of our day. And I tell you what, Kat, you would know about this. There's so many different blisters and cuts and bruises and <laughs> dust in the eye and eyelashes into, an, into another eye and all these sorts of daily little aches and pains scratches, cuts, bruises that uh, that go on during a day at the circus. That's great. You mentioned emergency response, and there are potentially some people listening who might not know what that actually looks like in an entertainment setting or specifically in a circus setting. This is something that we, of course, spend a lot of time training all together. Uh, but could you walk us through what exactly an emergency response is and what that means for a show and who all is involved in it. Yeah, so it's probably one thing that is a key difference in a therapist's role when comparing circus with the rest of the performing arts in that we have that element of risk or danger, I guess, that our artists are under in in some of the apparatus that they use. And basically, emergency response refers to the training that we do as a team of people working backstage on the show so that we are a well-oiled machine to respond to an injury should it occur during training or during a show. So everyone learns the different roles that we need for people to do, and that can be things like bringing equipment or, you know, using certain pieces of uh, machinery. Maybe it's things like making sure if an ambulance is required that an ambulance is called and all of that sort of thing. So these things don't happen by accident. We have a well-streamlined process and it's definitely a case of the more we practice, the less it's required because, um, you know, obviously we keep everything as safe as possible. We always have lots of measures in place to ensure everyone's welfare. Um, But if something should go wrong, we have a well-oiled machine to 
respond quickly, get the adequate care in place and set the artist up for a full recovery. I can definitely vouch for the high priority that we put on safety in our show. And Kaz is the very best at leading these teams through any potential emergency training that we might have to do. What does the rest of your day look like? What exactly is the start to finish of a P-Med at Cirque du Soleil? Mm, So our day starts with call-in. And this is generally the half hour before any acrobatic training starts. And this is where we will communicate with any artists that may be unable to do their full workload that day. So if there are some restrictions that they need to review or we need to assess something to decide what uh, their workload should be during that day, that's what we do during call-in. Then we head to line-up, which uh, might be familiar to people out there, which is where we all the artistic team gets together and we decide on who's in what for the show of the day. Then there's usually a period of injury treatments, assessments. There might be emergency response training. We might be checking our emergency equipment. We might be running workshops in injury prevention or management. So many different things. And then, Kat, it's showtime and we have a show track ourselves. We dress up in black and we have a matrix that we use to decide which parts of the show we will be physically standing side stage for just to keep an eye on and make sure that everything goes smoothly. So for us, that's five of our acts during the show and the rest of the show will be sitting back in our performance medicine department watching the show on the monitor. What kind of skills do you think someone might need to have to work in a position like this? Mm, Oh, that's a great question. I think therapists that join that do well are very open to learning all aspects of the performing environment. We as therapists have very good clinical knowledge and we know our injury management process, but so much of what we do is around decision-making of us being a very small cog in a very big machine. So what are the demands that the show is under? What is the show schedule like? Who's in and who's out in terms of rotations, in terms of, you know, new acts going in, uh, new artists coming and going. So I think the better you learn about all those moving parts, the more accurate decision-making you'll make regarding artists and their welfare and what is suitable for them to come into and go out of and, you know, knowing what backups are available for what roles helps you with your decision-making as well. It's one of the the parts of the job that I love the most is, uh, you know, I believe in a mantra of win-win-win. What is the best for the artist? What is the best for the show? And what is the best for the company as a whole? And when you work hard, you can really marry those three together and those are great decisions to make, Kat. (laughs) And now a note from our sponsor. The Theatre Art Life podcast is proud to be sponsored by ClearCom. ClearCom is the leader in voice communication since 1968 for theatre and the performing arts. When the show must go on, ClearCom is there to keep the team on cue. You can find them at clearcom.com. Go check them out. It's such a unique 
set of skills that you need to be able to really understand the show that you're working on, the people that you're working with. For instance, we as stage managers are often working with our PMED team to discuss the progress of certain artists in the show. And we might get questions from PMED like, what cues does this person not lift their arms above their head for? Or does this person have any cues that they can walk instead of run? Things like that. And it's really, it's such a collaboration, uh, which is really wonderful for us to have a really great team and your support in making sure that our artists are very well cared for. Because I think that's something that it doesn't matter what corner of the industry we're in. We, of course, want to make sure that all of the people that we're putting on stage, and of course the ones backstage as well, are in a position where they are not being asked to do anything that's going to cause them any kind of harm uh, and is going to ensure that they're able to endure through the very uh, strict show schedule that we have to keep. I'm so glad I'm so glad you brought that up. Yeah, it's such good insight to see like you have your wealth of knowledge around the show, the cues, which cues are under pressure with limited people to do them and which aren't. Um, and that that is so such helpful information to us to then say, because we we may have an artist who it just means it, we, we just need to decrease their overall workload somehow so that their their general body is under less stress. And so Working with you guys, we can work out what the priorities are for the show and therefore where the, I call it low-hanging fruit is that like, oh, it's okay. If we have you out of that, it's not a huge imp- impact on the show. So let's give you a little rest, you know, during your show track. So it's such a great point. Yeah, absolutely. It's such a nice give and take too, because, you know, we can always say to you, oh, don't worry, we have two backups for that. Let's let's give him a break. No problem. Or, you know, it might be something where we're modifying based on how our artists are um, because it really is it's such a it's a collaborative process Um, and so it's nice to have two teams that are able to communicate really well together um, and kind of build off of each other now how do you adjust to culture uh, in these situations so you've you've worked in many different parts of the world and as I understand it you've also worked on a resident show in China so I'd love to hear about your experience there as well as on tour when we have so many different nationalities and how do you adjust your communication or your strategies? How do you approach people of many different cultures on one show? Oh, look, it's such a great question and it's a part of the job that I love the most, all these different backgrounds melding together. And I think, you know, it's a good time to bring in a dag, daggy mantra of seek first to understand and then be understood. We as therapists need to understand their background, understand their training principles and understand what has worked for them in the past to then build a treatment plan for them. And look, China was such um, an amazing example of that because they're training style is very different to a western style we're probably a lot more into cross training and we're a lot more into cycles of like rest weeks and then build-ups and you know a lot of different approaches like that and and therapy is probably a much more common part of that in the Chinese culture it's a lot of repetition and this is I mean the results of it you see are amazing you have these phenomenal Uh, Chinese artists who can do phenomenal 
tricks night after night just purely from learning that by their their bodies doing this repetition. But if something goes wrong, their bodies aren't as used to the different positions and the different loads. So, you know, that's something that you have to consider as well. So, yes, there's there's definitely different ways of training. You have to have a lot of respect for that because that is what works for them and what you need to be able to return them to if they're having to come out for a little while. And then it's about the other part of culture is building a culture in our PMED department itself. We want the artists to feel that it's a welcoming place to come. We want to feel that they are always a part of the conversation of how their recovery will go. And we want them to feel that we know they want to be in show and we will do everything we can to ensure that that's the case. I think there can be a little bit of a myth that, oh, if I go and see a therapist, they'll pull me off the stage. Trust us. We want you on stage just as much as (laughs) you do but we also want you to feel great and perform at your best. So, so much around culture and it's really important and a really enjoyable thing to embrace in the job. Absolutely. And you do build such a welcoming environment for people to come come to you with any issues that they might have. Do you find that the group size that you're working with affects how you might interact with the people who need to come and see you? If it's a large group, is it hard to single out people who might have issues who might not otherwise come to you on their own versus a smaller group where you can have a little bit more one-on-one? What's been your experience with the range of numbers of people? So there's a a few things around that. I think when you look at a group act compared to a solo act, so say it's a solo or even a duo act, Something being a little bit sore and someone not quite being able to do what they normally do has more of an impact. Perhaps in a group act, the group can change and shift to perhaps accommodate someone's ache and pain, which, you know, we would love to feel that they're letting us know if they have it, but sometimes that's something they're able to and are probably used to self-managing as well. So we need to be aware of that. And that's where important things like watching trainings, getting familiar with how people move, getting familiar with what tricks people normally do and how stable they normally are even, how reliable they are on those tricks because we can see if there's changes in that. And it's not often, but occasionally that will prompt us to go up to someone and ask how they're going. The upside of groups is we have immediately more data in trends of things wearing out or injuries happening so if a certain group yeah so if we get a few similar injuries or even just aches and pains that aren't pulling them out but they're reporting to us we can then monitor that group and say has their workload changed has the type of things they're doing in training changed and are there is there anything we can do to manage that in a one-on-one setting you've only got that n equals one case study in a group you can, mod- you can monitor trends a little bit more. That's so interesting. I can't say I've thought about the data that must be involved, the trends that you see over time, uh, whether that's injuries or near misses or just aches and pains that are common in a certain group. I imagine that must aid you a lot over time. And is that something that you've found personally over the course of your experience there must be things that you look for in certain activities, some things that you might say, oh, 
flying trapeze is using so much of their upper body. So I'm going to make sure to check in on shoulders or something like that. Is there is there that same sort of knowledge that you build up, that same instinct over time? Yeah, and, and it's on different levels. So obviously the best case scenario is injury prevention or building resilience and durability in our artists so that they don't get to that point. And so we know the loads that certain groups are commonly under and can we build programs around that to make them less likely to sustain injuries. Then it's early intervention. So again, if we build that culture where the artists learn that the earlier they come to us with with signs of overload, the quicker we can intervene with the less disruption to anything they do on the stage to get them going. So that's sort of the next priority. And then if it gets to the point where there is an injury that leads to changes, then, you know, that then becomes a normal injury recovery journey. So prevention, early intervention, and then general injury management is the sort of the three tiers of, I guess, yeah, managing artists' bodies as a whole. Yeah, that's great. And you, you've you mentioned a few times now recovery, which on an individual level, of course, would probably mean coming back from some kind of injury. But on a whole, we also have a very strenuous show schedule. And I know that one of the things that you prioritize is also recovery and wellness as we're moving through the process. So for example, for our listeners, we are in Tokyo for six months. And for the majority of those days, we are doing at least two shows a day. And so this is a, it's a very strenuous schedule for them. How can we promote wellness and recovery with that kind of schedule? Yeah. And this is where touring life comes into it and I guess the increased knowledge that we have of how people are going and the predictability of how people will go in in touring life. When we look at our city runs on Allegria, they can be anywhere from four weeks to, I guess, 12 weeks uninterrupted. We're in Tokyo for six months and we've got a week off in the middle of it because we know that our, all of us need that, not just the artists but the workers <laughs> as well. So if we look at sort of now we're going into an 11 or 12 week period before a break. Now we know predictably around the midpoint of that four, five, six weeks in, we hit a flat spot. The adrenaline of Premiere has worn off and the next holiday isn't quite on the horizon yet. And this is when energy levels drop, fatigue starts to set in, perhaps things frustrate us that wouldn't normally do so. It's quite a predictable pattern that we see. So we usually plan around that time to have a recovery week. This week we've called it a wellness week. And sometimes it's a reduction in training load. Here in Japan we have quite a rigorous show schedule, so we're not doing a whole lot of training and obviously we can't change the show load, but we can give people a mental refresh how can we, you know, jig everyone out of this funk? And so we've got things like theatre classes. We've got a dance yoga fusion class coming up this week. There's even a paper plane flying competition, which I'm hoping you're going to enter, Kat. Uh, you know, I'll Absolutely. put my money on you. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, oh, and oh, gosh, how could I forget to mention the rescue puppies that are going to visit us on site? So it's yes. really, it's really about just 
bringing a bit of joy, freshening things up and getting people out of their fixed in day-to-day routine. That's great. That's great. And it works for me too, because I also benefit from the rescue puppies and the paper airplane competition. So thank you very much from all of us. You have spent some time in academic roles as well, developing curricula based around health. How exactly does your role as an educator come into play in your current role? Do you find yourself educating in the role you have now? So as a head therapist, I'm lucky enough to be joined by two wonderful therapists. And the first thing that I think about when I wake up in the morning is how can I create a space for them to have an awesome time at work and be at their best? Because that then flows onto our artists. If our therapists are happy and performing well and feeling challenged and feeling appreciated, they're going to give great care to our artists. So what I've learned is that I think education principles are really important in terms of empowering people. But what I really found was a sweet spot in bringing to those uh, undergraduate physiotherapy students is business principles. Even when you're working in an organization like ours, it's good quality leadership. It's creating a great culture. It's having your numbers squared away so that your budget works so you can make sure you always have the supplies that you need for our artists. It's providing a great service so that your customers return, which is your artists who are having their treatment. So I think now at this stage in my career, I've become very passionate about leadership and management and how, you know, I I think we can fall into this trap of thinking that just because you're a great therapist means you'll then become a great head therapist, which means you would then become a manager. We see that in all aspects of our industry, don't we? But The skills that got you to be a great therapist might not be the ones that make you an inspiring head therapist. Do you know how to mentor people? Do you know how to delegate tasks rather than just do them all yourself that you were very good at? So I think this is now part of my stage of career that's giving me a lot of joy is empowering therapists to empower artists and therefore sort of multiply that impact that you can have. That is such a beautiful philosophy on leadership. I really appreciate that. And you can so see it in the way that you lead your team. It's all about creating a great environment where they thrive so that you can then all support the people around you. I think that's really, really wonderful, Kaz, and I'm glad you said that. Do you have any advice for performers or technicians or managers on taking care of their bodies? Yeah, so I think there's probably two main things that are important and apply to everyone. You can't run flat stick in fifth gear all the time. Our bodies naturally (laughs) need to have cycles of how we do things. Now, fortunately, Tour creates that a little bit for us. We'll do a number of weeks in the city and then have a week off while the big top's moved. That's a really good way and you know how refreshed we come back after that, Kat. But As we were saying before, longer city runs, you can't just expect to grind the gears every week in a row and not get tired. So 
to have a bit of a refresh point in there is important. And in fact, what we would normally do is a recovery week just for the artist. We've rolled it out entire site this time, haven't we? So that everyone gets the opportunity to do that. So run your life in cycles. It's a lot more fun and it's a lot easier to refresh yourself. The second thing is the human body has a phenomenal capability when given time to adapt. You can do nearly anything if you progress to it gradually over time. Most people think running a marathon is just about how fit you are in your lungs, but no, it's about all your ligaments and joints and bones adapting to load and they need time to do that. So, you know, it's the all or nothing philosophy that doesn't work. If you suddenly think you're going to commit to a fitness program and you go hard at it and train for two hours a day, right off the bat every day, that's when you wind yourself down. So chipping away at it, little bits of change, gradual progressions, pretty much the rule for everything physical. That is really great advice. Live your life in cycles and progress gradually. I think that might apply to just about everything. (laughs) I love that. Thank you so much, Kaz. Now, we always end the podcast with the same two questions, which I'm going to ask you now. The first one is, what is your favorite thing about your role or the industry as a whole? I really love that we can do high quality, great work and focus when we need to. But, oh, my gosh, is there a layer of fun. I had a rigger walk up to me today and bomb my desk with a bunch of tiny ducks, and that is just a normal part of my day. Uh, And we've got a food truck rolling up on Tuesday to feed us all delicious waffle cones. So the fun part, hands down, (laughs) love that we can play at work. And uh, you and I have been known to do a little bit of – (laughs) a <laughs> little bit of uh, fun play at work so that for sure is we it. do we do <laughs> it's always good to keep it fun absolutely now if there were one thing that you could change about your job or the industry as a whole what would that be look I will speak for performance medicine in that I I think we can develop better our career pathways for our therapists we, get, we attract so many bright sparks and we love challenge and we love that sense of progression and taking on more and doing something new. So if we can continue to work on creating a better structure for that, we'll retain great therapists, which means they can continue to do this great quality work and, and help our amazing artists. That sounds great. Thank you so much, Kaz. Thank you for joining us today. It was great having you. Oh, it's been, it's been, what a journey we've had. It's, uh, it's been great fun. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for taking us on it, Kat. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Theatre at Life is a global media site for entertainment. Memberships start at only 38 US dollars per year. You can have unlimited access to our daily published articles, including entertainment news and the writings of active industry professionals, ensuring that you are always up to date on the global happenings in the world of entertainment. Become a part of the international entertainment community and join us now at www.theaterartlife.com.